Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, we speak with Shona Ganguly, External Affairs Advisor at the Nature Conservancy in California. Shona maneuvers through the terrain of environmental policy in Southern California, managing relationships with local, state, and federal legislators, officials, partner organizations, and supporting conservation programs in Southern California. She is a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, with a bachelor's in development studies and South Asian studies. She has a master's in cultural studies from Claremont Graduate University, and has an MBA from the Peter Drucker and Masatoshi Ito School of Management. She lives in Los Angeles with her son, husband, and two husky Malamute shepherds. And in her spare time, she supports her family's Indian apparel boutique, Pia Kagar, and serves as president of the Los Angeles League of Conservation Voters. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Jessa. And I'm Laurel. And today's guest is Shona. We're so grateful to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And how are you connected to AEP? So I work for the Nature Conservancy uh, in California. I'm based in Los Angeles. And my colleague, Cara Lacey, who's based in San Diego, uh, knows Laurel. And she introduced us and thought that I would be interested in um, connecting with you and talking about environmental issues in California. So that's how I'm connected to AAP. It's opened up a world, actually, listening to your podcasts and learning about how, how many folks are engaged uh, with AEP and and uh, learning about CEQA and advancing environmental objectives. So really excited to be here. Thank yeah. you. We are thrilled to have you. Thanks. So Shona, you, um, you, know, you just mentioned you're with the Nature Conservancy. Can you give us just an overview of what your current role there is and uh, yeah, what you're working on? So um, I've been with the Nature Conservancy since 2012, mostly in external affairs during that time. Uh, The Nature Conservancy's mission is to protect the or conserve the lands and waters on which all life depends. Really big mission. We're, you know, in about almost 70 to 80 countries now and all 50 states. Um, my work is really focused on local, state, and federal uh, legislative issues in, in Southern California or sometimes statewide. I uh, work on conservation campaigns, support our programs, uh, uh, climate and climate to sorry, um, from climate to uh, to urban conservation to disaster resilience to connected lands. Lots of issues. Um, one of my colleagues say says that we're an inch deep and a mile wide. And so that's what external affairs is. You kind of become an expert in a moment on an issue because you have to work on it at the you know local or regional level, state level, or the federal level, um, or work with partners. And so the other part of my job is really cultivating partnerships with other organizations, uh, not just conservation organizations, but folks working on environmental justice, water quality, uh, you know, you name it. I, I don't like to limit the kinds of partners we work with. Uh, I think the main part of this work is building strong relationships to advance our objectives that aren't just about the environment, but about um, making sure that people have good quality of life, that we're protecting um, our natural resources, and that we're we're having empathy at the end of the day for for the world around us and and those with whom we share the world around us. So that's um, 
sort of it in a nutshell. Uh, I, I think I'm, I feel very lucky to work for an organization with the, this kind of reach and mission and to have the space to work with diverse uh, partners. And, you know, we really can't do anything without those partnerships. And I, I feel very, again, grateful that I, I get to build those partnerships and have these relationships to move, move the work forward. Yes. In, in university, everyone's talking about how they want to get jobs in the nature conservancy. I was studying environmental studies and it was like the gold mine of um, good work was to be accepted at the nature conservancy. And it was very challenging. And so um, how did you find yourself at this very competitive place to get into because everybody wants to work there? Yeah. What was your, your entryway into this organization? I smile and kind of laugh because I didn't know what the Nature Conservancy was <laughs> before I I joined. And um, while I am lucky, feel lucky now, at the time I had no idea what I was getting into. I really wanted to work in third world development, uh, educational infrastructure building as a, a way to alleviate poverty. I was, you know, looking for kind of foundation or international development jobs. And I, so I went to Berkeley for my undergrad. I studied South Asian studies and development studies, uh, sort of political economy. I focused on, focused on Latin America and South Asia. And then I went to grad school at Claremont and I got an MBA and I concurrently got a master's in cultural studies. And so nothing to really, I mean, everything's interconnected, but not, it wasn't directly about the environment or policy. And I, you know, came out of grad school in 2011 fall, winter of 2011 and was looking for jobs. And I had the opportunity to go into, uh, you know, the private sector or into a sort of consulting business side of things. And then um, I had this, this opportunity with the Nature Conservancy to, to work on operations because, I, you know, I'd come out of an MBA program, operations that seemed to make sense. And, and I don't even remember how I applied. I don't have a recollection of this. I think it was just meant to be. And I ended up taking the nonprofit job because that was really where my soul was, right? The, to work with, uh, to work on something that would make change. And um, so about a year in, uh, I had a colleague who said, you know, you really should be, you should really apply for that external affairs job. You know, the, this operations, like you've learned a lot. I, I got to work with all of our program uh, programs in Southern California. I, I really got to learn about the organization, but it wasn't where my passion was. And so I applied to um, this external affairs job and I didn't have a background in policy. And I learned about everything from the ground up and built all these, again, these relationships that really made a difference. So many folks taught me things and, and I ended up uh, sort of growing into this external affairs and policy career at the Nature Conservancy. I'm in my maybe third role in external affairs since then. And I've been able to add things to my portfolio based on my interest, based on areas um, that are really emerging in this space. And I've also been able to stay sort of up to date on things that, that, you know, when I think when you come to things, come to issues with an I know mindset, it, it can be fairly damaging because you're not opening yourself up to learning more. And, and the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And, and I think that in this space, that's really important because ecosystems change, right? On the science side, part of, part of science is observing, right? And, and so if we're not 
observing and we're just saying, I know, I know what the answer is. I know this is the solution. We're never learning. And so I've been, again, very fortunate to have that space to learn and grow um, at the Nature Conservancy and in the conservation environmental space and to incorporate, you know, environmental justice and equity concerns that I really care about that as, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning of this question or the answer to this question is I really cared about alleviating poverty because my family is from Calcutta in India and I had observed or, you know, witnessed so much intense poverty, which exists all over the world exists here. And I live in LA it's, it's, you know, rampant here in LA County too. But I, I think, you know, as a child experiencing that, growing up and thinking like, I I have to, to be a human on this planet, do something. And um, now working in conservation, I realized, you know, it's so interconnected to to improve people's quality of life. We have to invest in, in our environment, in our natural resources, because part of being in poverty is not having access to clean air and clean water and, you know, healthy food. So I think it really, it's, I'm, I'm kind of way, I've, I've, you know, I'm a global thinker. I took us really away from the, from the nature conservancy by itself because we are so interconnected and we're so, we're doing so much work um, around the world that, that inspires me. And I get to do a lot of work on the ground here that um, I feel has an impact. And, you know, we all wish we could have a bigger impact, Um but within the structures that we've got um, until we have revolution of some kind, uh, <laughs> this is what we can do. And uh, so the Nature Conservancy works, you know, as a science-based conservation organization. So that's the other part that I really enjoy that I get to sort of marry science and policy and I can, you know, go to an elected official and say, hey, we have the latest science on, you know, riparian restoration in urban settings, let's talk about what's possible. Let's fund these kinds of projects that improve access to open space in, you know, low-income communities of color. That's, that's, a, that's you know, really exciting. I'm not saying all, the whole conservation space is like that, but I get to do that kind of work. And I, I again, I'm, I'm happy I continue to get to do it. You're doing it. You're doing it. It's really fun to hear it, hear about it because like I said, everybody just looks at the nature in, in my field, in environmental studies, everybody looks at the nature conservancy and is like, oh, it's so fun and so cool. And one of the, the coolest things I thought was uh, the wildlife crossings, like the bridges over the highways to get uh, to connect lands, to get animals from one place to the other so that genetics, ecology and evolution can expand. And so species don't die. And then blah, blah, blah. that's the same to humans. That's the same thing. Like we need to have food system connectivity. We need to have physical connectivity. We need to have a healthy natural ecosystem in which to live and thrive. And, you know, um, one of Jess's passions that I'm sure she'll talk about is basic needs being met, like, like being able to eat and eat healthy food. And I, I just want to applaud you for, for making the connection between the the human quality of life being directly dependent upon and a nested system within the natural ecology. Thank you for making that connection because it's it's crucial for us to look at ourselves, look at the world differently and ourselves differently and in our daily work differently. Yeah, I'm just sitting here nodding. I'm like, yes, everything you're saying, I am... It's resonating so much with me and hopefully others who are listening to this as well too, because 
there's just, you know, when you pull one lever, the other levers are moving. And so while we can be individually passionate about certain issues, understanding how that issue fits in the big piece of the puzzle and having people like you who are big systems thinkers to be like, okay, if this does this, does this, does this, and, you know, Laurel and I sometimes will get into these big conversations and she's teaching me, you know, more about like the science side of things and environmental policies. And, and then we're like, this is public health. This is, you know, homelessness. It's, um, you know, underserved communities and your mind just can get easily overwhelmed where it's just like, wow, like you really have to think about how all of the pieces fit together. And, you know, Laurel mentioned for me, it's like, I am passionate about people having access to um, clean water and clean air, because it's like, if you don't have that, if you don't have your very fundamental basic needs met, nothing else matters. You you can't get, you know, Maslow's hierarchy is what I think about. Like you can't get to that next level. So while we can do all these, you know, progressive things in society, it's like, if people can't have access to clean drinking water, well, what's the point? So I think about that a lot. I don't know what to do about it, but um, it's something I care. I I love to hear people like you who know what to do about it are doing things about it. Oh, I feel the same way though, where it never feels like enough and it feels like I'm only one, you know, small piece of that puzzle. And, and again, I learned so much from partners and, and, um, and I wouldn't, you know, I continue to learn. So it's not like I know everything about it, but I, I, it is something that matters to me. And I really hope, um, we can make that difference because you're completely right. If you cannot meet basic needs, the rest people, people can't focus on the rest. I mean, it's like when, when kids go to school hungry, they can't focus on what they're, you know, what the teacher is trying to, to tell them like they, or, you know, they can't learn. Um, and I know we've gone kind of off of, off of traditional conservation, but I, I, I think that again, you're, the points you're both making is everything is interconnected. We can't have these silos. It's just, it doesn't make sense anymore in the new, you know, the climate, regime that we're going to be seeing that we are seeing, right? This, this is hitting us now with, with fires in California, with sea level rise, with urban heat island effect. It's, it's real. It's here. It's, it's happening now and it's going to get worse. And so we have to, we have to act in a more holistic and comprehensive way um, to say like, I, this is all I work on and you're, you're working on this over here. And we, you know, shouldn't, we shouldn't work together because our, our, um, the way, ways of our working, ways of knowing, or our objectives are not the same. No, our objectives really are the same. And I think it's, it's, it, we may have differences in approach. We have made, may have differences in, in our experience and our, you know, all, all sorts of things, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be working together. I think we need to bridge these gaps as much as possible. Um, and just to go back to the, the wildlife crossings that Laurel was mentioning, you know, it, it is, it, it, coming up with innovative ways to 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 solve our problems, right? Uh, and and thinking about out of the box ideas is is really exciting. That um, and putting a creating characters around around the species that use these uh, these corridors. There are human characters, of course, but then there are folk. You know, there are mountain lions like P twenty two who has his own Twitter um, at Griffith Park, and and really really getting people to be invested in in these solutions and thinking about them um, not just as like okay, this is something we have to do, we have to invest in this because of climate, but to get excited about the narrative, um, and that's. 
that's that's really I love that this that's the way that that uh, conservation is going that we're putting we're putting characters forward um, and and that engages people more otherwise it's like how am I why how do I engage where's my point of contact here or where's my point of entry really here yes this takes me back to when uh, POTUS and the White House had a pair of bald eagles that were laying eggs and they had a webcam in the nest and I was obsessed. I could not stop watching it. And I'd be like this, like in the middle of the night being like, it's going to crack. It, it's going to, it's going to crack. They're going to, they're going to come out. And I just could not get enough. I'm sure their names were like freedom, liberty, and justice for all. And they, you know, they each popped up freedom and liberty and justice for like all popped up. And I was like, okay, see, I'm so in this. I'm so invested. My heart is like in this. And every time I see a bald eagle in nature, mostly when I go to Idaho, they're just like sitting on the side of the river. There's like right there. I'm like, this is, it's our national symbol. And we almost killed them with DDT and all the, the environmental pollution that we put into the earth and Rachel silent spring, Rachel Carlson silent spring, just like blew my mind wide open. These are the reasons why we have conservation laws is so that these magical mystical beasts and us included because we're magical mystical beasts can can thrive together and i'm i'm really interested in how you, how the nature conservancy and your role like makes that kind of policy change or or lobbies if you will or um aligns initiatives strategically so that so that big things innovative projects happen how do you get people going how do you get policymakers to actually decide and actually do stuff that's a you know that's a really <laughs> complex question um i think i think you know i i would start from the place of the nature conservancy has been very effective over over a long time and again working with partners to advance those things uh the, those um policy objectives but in terms of getting getting policy makers or decision makers to move on these things, I think we have it's it gets a little more basic even than that. Is it's just really about connecting with them and what they care about. You know, if they are mostly they're supposed to be representing their communities, right? Their constituents, um, and uh, you know, I won't go into why I say supposed to, but, but I, I think that the many of them do. And the ones we work with, we're very lucky that they care about their constituents. They care about their districts. And, um, and if you can make the connection to how, how will the answer the question, I guess, that how will this improve the lives of my constituents of my district of, of this region? Um, if we can answer that question in a satisfactory way, look, it will. This will protect land that will provide access to your community members. This will improve urban heat island effect, you know, with urban forestry, for example. Or this will have a climate benefit. Or you'll get funding in your district for, you know, stormwater, for example, which is something I've worked on a fair amount in LA County. Uh, or you'll be able, you know. Fill in the blank. You'll this. You'll be able to do this thing in your area or in your region, and it's going to benefit the constituents where you you know that you represent. Um, 
that's, that is meaningful, right? The other part of that, and I'm, this is kind of a roadmap if you're going to get into this space of, of advocating, you know, for issues or, or informing elected officials, educating them about issues, because they can't know about everything, right? They, they, they are human like, like we are, and they know about their areas of expertise. They have their experiences. So they need folks like us to, to share you know, why is uh, about why conservation is important or why, you know, that why we should even be investing in these things. And so, so I think it's also important to bring folks who do work in their district to them and, and say, be a conduit, right. And say, here, here, here are some folks who work in your district. They need capacity. They need funding. They, they, to do these good projects, they need to build a park in this area that has, you know, doesn't have a park and people need to be able to walk to a park, you know, 10 minutes to a park. Um, everybody in the, in the country should be able to do that. Um, it affects their health. Your asthma rates in this area are terrible. Let's do, build, you know, plant some trees. These are, these are things that, that can be really uh, compelling to elected officials. I think also getting to know what they care about personally can help. Um, you know, there, there are elected officials who might have um, a, have a background in uh, water, right? Or or have, might have tribal roots, and so maybe they're interested in um, tribal representation. And that's something that's really important to me. I think that you know we really need to make sure that we have tribal-led initiatives. We have to work on co-creation. Tribes really need to be empowered and come forward. Uh, you know, we need to help them to come forward because they have been so. Um, there aren't even good words to talk about what has been done in this, in, in this country. And, um, and I won't do it justice. So I'm just going to say that anything we can do to be good partners and to put them front and center rather than putting us front and center is, is really the right thing to do here. They're the original, you know, conservation leaders. Uh, they're the ones who really steward are great stewards of this land. And so I, I, I think there are ways to connect with elected officials and decision makers in a way that resonates with them. I think one of the mistakes that I've seen is that people will go in and talk to an elected official and talk really about what they care about and why and not read the room or understand that, hey, this elected official, that's not what's going to resonate with them. You really need to understand what resonates with that person. And then this is why I go back to relationship building. This is all about the connection between people, the connection between people and land, the connection between people and water, you know, the connection between people and food we talked about, um, between people and their health. It, it's, it's, it's not just about, I care about this thing, like help me with this thing because I care about it so much. I wish the world were more like that, but that's not what's going to, there are too many competing interests. Mm -hmm. We're again, so disjointed, so siloed. We need to bring the issues together. We need to also do this, you know, participate in this translation. And this is something that my husband works on a lot about thinking about the politics of translation. In this case, not everybody gets why the environment matters. They haven't had access. They haven't had the opportunity. Um, There are great inequities there. So, we need to show, we need to have narratives. We need to take folks out to see these places. Um, those places also need to be closer to home. Um, you know, we need, we need to, to balance this need for, for development and affordable housing, which is super critical in California with uh, greening and, you know, enhancement of habitat and restoration. So 
that's my really long-winded way of, He's good. <laughs> of saying that that though you know how do we get how do we get elected officials to move on these issues um it's it's really about connecting uh you like you were saying and uh and you know bringing science and partnerships to bear is, is also are also that's those are critical things but um getting what 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 motivates someone and why will they listen to you and how do you get them to act on your issue when they're, they have a hundred other issues on their plate? Um, we really need to be answering those questions. Yeah. For, for, I mean, this is why, so AEP, we have a lobbyist in Sacramento that advocates for the California Environmental Equality Act. And the big role that we as an organization have is that we, when new elected officials come in, we explain to them because when they come in, they are not experts in CEQA. That's not a thing. And so we go in and we, AEP, we train them, we explain to them what CEQA is. We explain how um, for affordable housing, you don't need to go through CEQA. It's an infill development. We need affordable housing. It's a positive for the environment. Like, you don't, let's make an exemption for that. And, and that's what we work on. We work on policy changes that way, but it's coming, like CEQA really comes from a negative impact place. It's I'm trying to prevent bad things from happening, bad things from happening. I'm trying to disclose to the public the potential negative impacts on the environment. What it doesn't do is highlight, support, or storytell the good things that projects do or the, the environmental benefits of a project. And that's why partnerships with the Nature Conservancy and your your other partners and public-private partnerships to go up to Sacramento and explain the why behind you care. Not just like here are regulations and here are incentives for why you should, why you should care, but the heart of the matter. It's not you should care because a sequel is expensive, so you should get an exemption. That's not that's not a why, is it? it the why is is I'll use my project as an example. It's in a it's in a disadvantaged community, and our our development project does not negatively impact air quality, and it doesn't negatively impact water quality. So from a CEQA side, it's like a check 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 check, no big deal. But the, from the community side, they are suffering from asthma. They are suffering from nosebleeds. They are suffering from polluted water. The birds are suffering from polluted everything. And everyone's suffering. <laughs> and so they're so they'll come to the meetings and they get to vocalize and have their voice heard, but it doesn't live in sequeland. And it and it's like you can't do that. We need we need to address these environmental hazards and the disproportionate effect that they have on low-income minority communities, the disproportionate advantages and hazards of environmental issues. Those had to be discussed at a, at a policy level. Like decision makers need to need to like change and make things happen. So that's where people like you in the Nature Conservancy come in. So I'm I'm highlighting that so people who are listening as students or or looking for career changes and and really want to have an impact, you can go okay. In as an environmental planner and in the AEP world, I've got big influence in Sacramento on CEQA and environmental policy on in, in this realm. And also, I encourage everybody to. to Go with AEP to the day at the Capitol in Sacramento, where you get to like be with all the people, the legislators, and like share your thoughts, um, and supplement that with some additional like conservation policy if that's if that's what interests you. And public-private partnerships to get that done. And there are organizations well established like the Nature Conservancy that do that. 
And what are some of the the partnering organizations that have helped you move forward? Like maybe a, a couple, maybe two or two or three partnering organizations that you're you're willing to share with us that that have really spurred action with you. Oh, I'm going to see this is like thanking everybody and then you, you forget, you know, or you don't include someone and, and they're going to get upset with you. I do a broad sweeping gratitude moment. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that partnerships across the board, you know, the Nation Conservancy works with groups like, um, you know, Environmental Defense Fund and um, the the Natural Resources Defense Council and, and um, the now, you know, California environmental voters, they used to be CLCV and just a whole, a whole bunch of folks trust for public land, but I do more, more local regional work. Um, I do in district visits. I've been to Sacramento, I've been to DC, but, but I maintain a lot of the district relationships. And, and so when I was talking about partners in the district, um, those are, those are folks that, that have taught me so much. And, and some, some of those organizations I mentioned have, have, offices, you know, local offices too. But um, I guess, you know, the environmental justice groups are really the ones that that I want to highlight and um, and they've really helped us move forward, like count, county parks measures or stormwater, like I mentioned. Or, um, right now, the Nature Conservancy is working on plastics, uh, a plastics reduction act at the state level. So there are groups like Heal the Bay and um, LA Waterkeeper and um, Pacoima Beautiful and um, From Lots to Spot, uh, LA Conservation Corps, the Conservation Corps of Long Beach. Uh, you know, there, there are the Nature for All. Um, these are groups in LA County that I that work with you know, on a daily or weekly basis, uh, or like I said, I'm going to not listen. Well, Shona, Shona, the conservation yeah. core popped out, out at me. I mean, I'm nodding because like, yes, we partner like beach cleanups and heal the Bay and like these, like, yes, to all the things. There's so many all throughout California and local areas, the conservation core. I, when I first came into the industry, blew my mind that it existed. Will you share a little bit about what the conservation core does and how you how you partner with them in your local district? You know, um, we they we have different conservation corps have actually done projects on our properties before. They've come out to, for example, we have a property at Ormond Beach that we um, manage, and it's a it's one of the last coastal wetlands in Southern California, um, intact coastal wetlands in Southern California, and our our partners. Um, at the State Coastal Conservancy and City of Oxnard own adjacent properties. Uh, the, the Conservation Corps in that area in Oxnard has come out and help us. They've helped us re to remove uh, invasive trees uh, that are, you know, a fire risk, for example. They, the LA Conservation Corps, I think years ago, came out to Santa Cruz Island. Uh, the Nature Conservancy uh, owns, and manage, owns and manages a portion of it. And they helped us kind of redo, do some projects on the island. Um, those are project-based partnerships. We also have policy-based partnerships where we go and advocate for, for state bonds where the Conservation Corps would benefit from, you know, from those funds, um, particularly restoration funds. There's usually um, a stipulation in there that you should do a consultation with the Conservation Corps before you, when you plan a project or if you apply for, for those grants. So, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot of that advocacy together. We, we are part of different coalitions together. Um, I mean, naming a lot of folks, 
it's not, you know, I think that tradition, you know, traditionally partnership is like, we are both working on this property together. Right. Uh, now I'm talking about par- uh, partnerships that are a little more vague. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we have an MOU. It means that I view these folks as key partners when I, when I'm going to call, you know, set up a meeting with an elected official in an area, if they have a project, I'd like to highlight their project. Or if we have a small pot of, of grant funding, I'd like to give it to them to support their event. It's not a lot. It's not like we, the nature conservancy are making the difference for that con- one conservation core, but to be a supportive partner, that means we we can do small things over time, right? And that we're not taking credit for their work. And being a good partner is, is being supportive. So um, I, I don't want to make it seem like like that's what's happening. That you know, oh, we're the Nature Conservancy. We're we're really the ones making the difference in these organizations' uh, success. It's really that that they're supporting us in in being successful in these areas, and that we're we are working together to advance those those objectives. Does that? Yes, 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 yes. To all the things, because that I mean, I I would say all types of organizations would benefit from behaving in that fashion, from doing business in that fashion where you're bringing your stakeholders to the table, you're identifying long-term relationships, whether they are based, are project-specific, program-specific, strategic, policy, whatever it is, they're going to be like your long-term buddy um, for which it's a mutual or reciprocal relationship where they provide you things that, that you can't do without them and you provide them things that they can't do without you. And it's simple symbiosis. It's a symbiotic relationship, like the mushrooms and the trees, and they're all talking and connecting and growing and thriving. And it, it all makes sense. I, yes, I, I think, um, and I'm, I'm sure Jessa would agree. It's beneficial for businesses to do this as well for the private sector to not just look at one particular project or event in time and go, Hmm, strategic partnership with this group because of X, Y, and Z. Like I'm not, I'm first nations. I'm going to partner with the first nations of course, I have to by law in, in certain things, but I'm going to partner with the First Nations on this, this project. Well, if you take a step back and go, what would benefit the First Nation itself? And is that something that the business can help with? You know, not just this, this little small project, but like, can I give them long-term employment? Do they? Do I need to help them with workforce development so that they you know, have the skills to do this, this long-term job? And just like really thinking about it and making those those connections. And I want to thank you and applaud you for clarifying the difference between like a project specific needs-based short-term return relationship versus like a long-term we're in this together kind of relationship. I, I just, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, that there's a utilitarian version of these relationships that you're talking, I think you're, you're kind of um, alluding to. And the, the, I think when I went, was talking about relationship building, it's really about, I'm going to build this relationship because it's important to learn and to be supportive rather than you're going to be useful to me somewhere, somewhere down the line. That's not how I view, view these relationships. I think it's really about how can I, like you said, how can I be helpful to for example, a tribe or a tribal organization, how can I, you know, can I write a support letter? Can I, can I find some grant funding somewhere? Can I connect them to, to an elected official or to a, a foundation or a part, another partner? Um, can I introduce them? It's a very close space sometimes, the environmental space or the political space. How, how can I use what I have at my disposal to help? And maybe down the line, that means that we're going to 
be more efficient, partner more officially, or, or that, that will make something happen. But to start off from this utilitarian place of like, I have to work, we're going to work together because that's going to help me. That's not, that's not setting you up for success. You know, I think, and I don't, success for me doesn't mean, oh, this project gets, again, that the, the, this project gets over the finish line. It's really that we are breaking down these silos. We are working together. We're helping each other to achieve these objectives for nature and people to thrive together. Brilliant. I'm very, thank you for sharing. I think that this is an excellent segue to the wrap up rapid five, unless Jessa, you have a burning question. Um, I, I have a lot of more questions, but I think you're right. I think in the interest of time, this would be a good place to uh, start to close it out. So, um, Shona, what is your favorite daily habit? So, um, I love yoga. I don't think I would be able to survive without it. Uh, but I also love, uh, just walking in my yard with, uh, my two Husky Malamute shepherds and my seven month old son, uh, just being outside. And, you know, we we live in a pretty green and, um, or verdant place, luckily in LA. Um, and, and during the pandemic, it's been really nice to just be able to have that outdoor space at home. Cause I lived in an apartment for many, many years and luckily moved into a house before the, um, you know, about a year before the pandemic. So really love that, um, habit. Yay. Um, what are three things you'd bring to a deserted Island? So I, my sort of practical brain, I think, uh, wars with my, or, you know, battles it out with my, with my more, um, cloud in the clouds self, I guess. And so I, I would bring a water filter. <laughs> I, I, I drink a lot of water and, and it's necessary to survive. So, you know, I want to make sure the water's clean. I would definitely want like a, one of the pups or both of the pups with me because I think they're kind of like little wolves. Like it would be, I think they, if I follow their lead, I'll probably survive. Um, and then a book, uh, something, you know, fantasy, it's fantastical that, that helps me escape. Um, I, I think our minds are also really important when it comes to, if you're going to be on a deserted Island, you need to also be able to go somewhere else in your mind. Uh, uh, one of your other, other podcasts, uh, um, she had said that she would take her, her little one. And I was like, I don't, uh, I, I think that would be very stressful to take him and worry about his survival. So <laughs> I, I, as much as I would miss him and I want to be with him all the time, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, bring him to a deserted Island. <laughs> Understandable. Um, okay. What is your favorite environmental policy? So I, I, I don't have a favorite, but I did talk about how, um, clean air and clean water are really important to me. So the, you know, clean air act, clean water act, uh, the land and water conservation fund, um, you know, really investing in our lands and waters and at the regional level in LA County, I had worked on a, um, parks and open space measure in 2016. And that one, you know, like I said, to address inequities and access to parks and open space is very near and dear to my heart. And, we need more. We need more parks and open space. We need more trees. We need more vegetation everywhere. And we need to do it without displacing um, historic communities and without really pressuring these, these 
these communities that are already under so much stress. So those are sort of the suite of things that I, I would say were my favorite. Okay. And um, again, this might be another one like that. A uh, favorite fauna or flora. So I love live oaks. Um, I grew up in um, a place with a lot of oak trees and they're really, you were using the word majestic earlier, I think Laurel. And um, I love, um, I love just the, they just seem to be like the ancients, you know, the, the oak trees, kind of like elephants. So I love elephants and I also love koalas. Um, neither elephants nor koalas are, are um, native to Southern California, but I, I do love them. Uh, the life of a koala seems really great. Uh, you know, have eucalyptus and sleep 20 hours a day. I don't do anything near that. And with a seven month old baby, I don't sleep that much, but it seems like a really nice life. I love that. Okay. And finish this thought. Wouldn't it be cool if there were no poverty, no biodiversity loss. And if everyone could have a minimum sort of quality of life where they have access to clean water, clean air, healthy food, you know, that purpose (laughs) that, you know, basic human rights. And that includes having this, this, like you were saying earlier, symbiotic relationship with nature, um, you know, where people and nature thrive together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you having me here and that you're doing this podcast. And and I'm always happy to talk to folks who want to enter this space and this field. I know it's difficult, you know, to find a point of entry. And um, it's really great that you're helping helping aspiring um, environmental professionals enter this this realm because it's necessary. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Shona, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As a new podcast, it really helps us if you share with friends and colleagues that may enjoy this podcast as well. And please subscribe or follow the podcast to be alerted for new episodes. Also, if you want to submit a shout out, please send a voice memo under a minute, uh, ideally to podcast with an S at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P.org. Again, that's podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P dot org or any feedback that you'd like to share. We love feedback. Thank you.